You're listening to the Huck and Ride Podcast, the show that celebrates the two-wheeled lifestyle from pros to beginners and everything in between. Proudly brought to you by Kenda, the tire that's designed for your journey, the Huck and Ride Podcast is homegrown on two wheels. And now, here's your hosts, Jason Simpson and Lala Naharis. All right, welcome to another episode of Huck and Ride. We got Huck running wild. Um, he's got a, a shirt on because he got a little too wild last week and he's got a, a staple in his side. So a uh, t-shirt keeps him from digging at it. But I like that it's a Dodger t-shirt and you're so into b-ball. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, uh, it, was, it was the only thing that fit him. So that's, that's what he's well, sporting. I will say it's appropriate for my, me to be here because I thought I'd be the first professional woman baseball player uh, growing up. So All uh, right. it's actually quite appropriate. I came from a very heavy baseball family. So <laughs> <laughs> without right. knowing it, you know, the stars aligned. Yeah. <laughs> there you go. So Lala, why don't you introduce, in case people don't know who oh, we have. This is somebody who... I just knew by name for a long time in the industry, and I had this wild poster, and and then I actually got to meet her on a on a training ride, and, you know, and oh my gosh, amazing! But Mrs. Lee Donovan, yay! yay. <laughs> and we've tried to nail her down for a while too. Talk about being busy, right? Like yeah. New job, new everything, and it's like okay, this day, no, this day. And, <laughs> You well, know, I think, yeah, well, we COVID started, threw me a little yeah. bit of a curveball there. That's well, for sure. Well, so did Whistler, but we were jealous, yeah, that's but true. we're good. Whatever. <laughs> we don't have to bring up sore memories, okay? Uh, how was your Whistler trip? It was amazing. Yeah. I got to ride the bike park um, eight days. Wow. And I uh, did seven days on the DH bike and one day on the, um, the enduro bike. Okay. Um, and definitely... Much more preferred the downhill bike. Yeah, it's just yeah. it's so much more forgiving, right? Like yeah. it's just easier on your body overall. And just I I felt more confident okay. on it. I just yeah. like some of the terrain we rode. I would have just not been as confident on my you know one sixty mil bike. But you know you get me on the downhill bike, and then all of a sudden it's just like oh, I could ride that trail or, yeah. you know, just things that I didn't even imagine I would be riding. I rode, so it was awesome. <laughs> How long had it been since you've been on a downhill bike? Um, Since 2019. Okay. So I had a really bad crash at Snow yeah. Summit and um, at the uh, U.S. Open and um, on 10-ply. Is that what it's called? Yep. 10-ply? Yeah. Yep. I only rode it once, and I didn't make it all the way to the bottom. <laughs> So, um, <laughs> needless to say, I don't really remember it too well. Uh, but I had a really bad crash at that event in 2019, and so that was the first time I'd been back on the bike. Okay. The mount, the downhill, downhill bike. Downhill bike. Okay. And uh, I imagine you've done Whistler a bunch of times. Yes. But I how mean, long had it been since you've been to been Whistler? Also three years. Okay, three yeah. years. Okay. Yeah, I yeah. think 2019 is probably the last time I was there. I'm missing it. I'm yeah, missing I know. it badly. Big time. Yeah. Like, you, it's funny because you you do a Whistler trip, and you come back, and everyone says, "Oh, the Whistler Blues," you know. And it's like, well, I've had it for three years. Go, yeah. you know. It's Honestly, a- like I get ten days vacation with my new job at SRAM, and um, I took nine of my day vacation days there. Wow. Um, I just thought it was I was the same, and I hear this from a lot of people that I've spoken with about Whistler. It's, um, if you can't go every year, it's kind of like, it's like your reset in life almost. It just kind of helps rebalance you, helps you build your skill level back up to speed. Um, and, uh, and there's just a serenity there and the bike community, I don't know, it all just aligns and 
I really love it there. I've actually requested to have my ashes spread in Whistler okay. <laughs> when I die. So. Yeah, yeah. I don't think you'd be the only one with that I'm, request I'm either. I'm pretty sure I'm not. Yeah. So, okay, we'll, we'll get into to other stuff, but while we're on Whistler, how do you pace yourself to last eight days of riding in Whistler? Um, I just... I didn't do a lot of training up to it, honestly. Don't you so, jump? No, no, oh, no. <laughs> I think there's a Hutch on the back of Jason. I think there's a tree neck. or something is what he oh. said. Okay, okay, I got you. I kept <laughs> treats up here. Oh, gosh. All right. <laughs> that's that's what he's – he was standing trying to get those. Okay. He said, I need that tree. Yeah, yeah. It okay. wasn't in the best spot. Huh? Huck, I know what it's like to be little and can't reach something. I get it. Huck was on Jason's back trying to get a yeah. treat on the ledge yeah. that would have sent him off of the uh, – He would have hucked it <laughs> for sure. <laughs> Would have absolutely hucked it, and I'm certain landed it perfectly. Yeah. So anyhow, so back to pacing yourself at Whistler because it, yeah, that, that's yeah. a real thing because yeah. you have to. I mean, um, over the years uh, that I've gone, um, I remember racing in 2010, and I had a really bad um, like tennis elbow injury, um, and uh, and it was just I really struggled the entire time I was there in 2010. I remember that so much and. How that moment, and I was much younger then, um, how I needed to go into Whistler, making sure that I was, you know, massaging my arms out every day. Yeah. Um, noticing, like on day one when I'm out riding, um, noticing, okay, you're starting to feel fatigued. Okay, call it a day. Right, um, right. Instead of like, oh, I'm going to do another couple and then I'll call it a day. Yeah. Um, one of the things I, I probably did maybe, you know, four or five runs a day. Um, I was really specific about okay. it. Maybe one off okay. of the top, and then I'd do a f- like four on the bottom or something. Um, so I wasn't doing a ton, a ton, a ton of laps every day. Yeah. But I was able to ride every day. Right. Um, and it, what's great about Whistler, especially when I went at the end of June and beginning of July, was that there was quite a bit of weather. Yeah. So you could get one day where, you know, it was dry and sunny and one day where it was misty and one day it might be pouring rain. Yeah. And so I was really grateful. I got to ride in all those conditions. Yeah. Um, so I think pacing yourself and being really smart about it. And I do a lot of like ice baths with my hands and my forearms and um, and just, you know, a little Arnica uh, lotion. Yeah. Those are like things. Those are like tricks of the trade I've sure. know, learned over the years. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's always my my thing about Whistler, someone going for the first time and like pace yourself. Yeah. Do not like, especially young, young people. Oh, Cause right. like they see videos, they see, you know, they yeah. only see the biggest things, the fastest right. things, you know, one little clip. I'm like, there's so much good stuff there. Enjoy the mountain. Take your, like, just pace it because yeah. you don't want to end your trip early. Cause we've no. seen that happen a and bunch. I mean, it happens all the time. And I think that's, you get excited when you go to places like that. And, um, I, I think I'm fortunate I had a, a nice long racing career where I was able to um, learn and grow as a rider. And so, you know, it's funny watching the World Cup riders going, oh, you know, I have to pace myself on, you know, maybe I can only do four practice runs. You know, they don't get many days to practice. Yeah. yeah. And, um and I remember back in my day, people would be like, I'm going to do 10 runs today. I'm like, you're insane. Like, you're going to you're going to suck on race day. And it's the same with just practicing at any local area. It, sometimes we, we exceed our limit and we have more fatigue, brain fatigue, mental, physical fatigue. Like that's real stuff that happens. 
and um, and and that's when injuries happen. Yeah. As soon as you start to get tired, and most people they are so pumped and excited about some new experience that they are not really thinking straight. And um, and sadly, I see that happen a lot as well. Yeah. Yeah. We try to teach the kids that, like, because they get there and they're like. It's funny because you talk about Whistler. Three days in, the kids are like all tired. They're like, you know, Jay and his brother's going, and I'm still going. But they'll go do two, and I'll do one, and then they go do two, and then I'll do one with, like, you know, because I can't stay up with them either. But then the young ones are like, do three, and they're like, all right, we're going to go get something to eat. And then they chill for like two hours. Yeah. Because the first two days, they just, the first two or three days, they went so hard. Yeah. That's like, okay, yeah, the, the old guys do know something. Yeah. <laughs> and I mean, you know, kids will be kids, right? Oh, yeah. right. Luckily, they yeah. bounce a lot better than we do. Yeah. But, um, and, and, you know, there's nothing wrong with, you know, get one of the kids at Stoke. You just jump in behind them and, you know, you, you learn some stuff too. Absolutely. So, yeah. yeah. I think we need to back up a little bit. I know yeah. we introduced Oh, yeah, we're this. totally going to back yeah. up. Sorry. So, <laughs> uh, no, no, no. Well, because your career, Lee, like, you know, I didn't know a whole lot of it until I had met you, and I'm like, oh, my gosh. And then, you know, here you're teaching these clinics, and the whole woman group was stoked. And, here, you know, so going around Bonelli that day and, like, just little things. There's a couple things you did that I was like, oh, because I had never really – I was on a what, cruiser outside, you know, so yeah. learning that at well, – Well, I mean, she just talked about baseball, so let's go all the way back because <laughs> yeah. we're going, you know, so – Well, I yeah, but going to that, yeah. real quick, just let's put it out there on – Jay just learned some of your accomplishments. Let's throw well, some I knew, of those out I knew there. accomplishments. I just didn't know to what degree, like how many. So, so world champion, downhill. Yep. Okay. One time? One time. Okay. Yep. And then national champ, how many? Nine times. Nine times. Wow. Yeah. Like that's crazy. In my head, <laughs> I'm all that too. <laughs> On my bike, I just look good. Okay. Yeah, absolutely. So, and you were you were back in the Norba days, yes. and and for those of us who remember Norba, that's kind of we talk about the glory days of of mountain biking. The national off road bicycle. I mean, and that was crazy. Like. The the Norba pits look like Supercross pits today. Absolutely. I mean, it's yeah. semi trucks. Every every uh, team had car sponsors and you know multiple like uh, multiple riders that were capable of winning. Yeah. <laughs> so. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I I think I think if you go to Europe and um you you watch the World Cup in the downhill, you're see, you, you do see a lot of that there as well. You right. know, I mean, I feel like. The World Cup wasn't quite at that level when we were racing nationally here in America. America was kind of like the World Cup is uh, today. Yeah. And, um, and it's really, I think, hard for American racers to really grasp that it was like that if they didn't see that firsthand. Yeah. Um, but, uh, you know, unfortunately, um, we lost, uh, you know, we lost great leadership when we went into USA Cycling. Um, and I know people tried, but, um, at the time, you know, I call it the Lance effect and, uh, we had the Lance effect and every dollar that was coming into mountain biking at the time, everybody wanted to go over to road bikes and, uh, and follow, follow road racing and, and Lance and, um, that really hurt mountain biking. Mm -hmm. Um, and I left at the end of 2001. I retired at the end of 2001 when all that transition was happening. And um, I was a an a, I was on the Norba board um, for I represented the athletes, and um, and that my term ended at the end of 2002. And um, I I just saw a lot of change that 
you know, at the time I was still pretty young and I didn't know if I, I didn't know how to make change or, or, or support racing, or I didn't know how to do that. And there was a lot of power in the roadside of racing. And I think, um, not enough of us stood up Mm -hmm. and, and, and demanded that mountain biking continue to have that great support that it once had. And because of that, I, I feel like mountain biking really, hey, hug. What? Uh-oh. She's holding, got the ball. She's holding the ball. <laughs> but I think that, unfortunately, um, you know, mountain biking really did suffer racing. Yeah. Uh, the, the national circuit, you know, went away and money went away and the, just sponsorship support and, and as a whole went away. And, and, and uh, I think there is such great momentum now. Mm-hmm. And, um, and I really, really hope that uh, with how exciting racing has gotten and how many um, great American racers we have yeah. today, I'm hoping that um, the shift will change and we will come back to having more support from USA Cycling yeah. and, um, and bike companies and sponsors and outside sponsors and all of that. And we can rebuild uh, to support these amazing riders that yeah. all deserve to have the opportunity to be professional athletes making a great living right? and, um, and to be physically and mentally supported. Right, right. Well, that's, I mean, it's cool to, to talk to someone of your caliber and who's been had a long history in the sport and is still excited and loves the racing and, you know, is excited about it. Cause I, I am too, Yeah, you know, I, I, I got that from listening to the podcast, you know, and me too. I mean, I think that there's just a lot of us that are fans of racing Yeah, and, um, and the excitement you get when you watch someone achieve greatness, like watching Finn Isles win the world cup at Mount St. Anne, I personally, that was my first World Cup I ever won as well. And um, and I had chills watching him win. Like, I don't even know Finn. Yeah. But I had chills. I was, like, tearing up, crying. <laughs> like, because I know what it takes yeah. as a rider to get that first win. Yeah. And it's just not easy. It just does. I mean, there are some people that are so naturally gifted. It does come easier for them. Yeah. You know, like an Aaron Gwynn. I mean, uh-huh. like, when he won, I mean... He basically came out and was podiuming just right. as he started riding bikes. He's just a naturally gifted rider, and he knows how to race and turn it on, and he's great. Myself, I had to work so hard for that first win, and um, and I didn't have many of those. Yeah. You know, I won three downhill World Cups and I think like five dual World Cups. Um, that was never really my focus, to be perfectly honest, but um, it – it was one of those things just watching that when Finn won, I thought, God, and it's, it's exciting. Yeah. Yeah. So what got you into cycling? You, you're talking about baseball. <laughs> so you're into, so you were, you were athletic. You're into, yes. so, so what, what sports or what did you do at a young age and what brought you into cycling? I feel like I did everything. Okay. So my dad and my mom both were incredible athletes. Okay. Um, my mom was the non-competitive athlete. She just enjoyed being athletic. My dad was a pretty serious athlete and um, he uh, he was actually the athlete of the year um, at the, the high school I ended up graduating from. He was the first athlete of the year, played three sports. Okay. Um, and my dad was really an avid baseball player. Um, unfortunately when he was, uh, um, he was on the angels uh, farm team at 20 years old or whatever, he was, uh, um, 
he was uh, enlisted in. He didn't enlist, but he was. Uh, what do you call drafted? It? He was drafted into the Marine Corps. Okay. And um, and you know back then a lot of people were mostly drafted into other spaces, but the Marine Corps nobody wanted to be drafted into the Marine Corps, and uh, that was like the you know they are the front lines. Yeah. I don't think a lot of people know that. Yeah. Um, you know, I never really understood that. But I remember my grandma telling me the story of how she basically fainted when she heard my dad was drafted into the Marine Corps. And, you know, we're, that was so long ago for a lot of people that probably listen to the podcast. They don't know. But um, it changed my dad's entire life. He mm -hmm. came back after two years of being drafted. And thankfully, you know, he didn't have to go to war and face the front lines. Um, but uh he um, he tried to come back and play ball, and um, he at that point they said you're just too old. And at that time he was married, and the you know um, my, he got married to my mom, and uh, they uh, you know they got to make money, yeah. so you got to go to work. And yeah. my dad ended up being a truck driver for um, my whole life. My dad retired as a truck driver, um, but uh, through the process of you know me becoming a human and. <laughs> <laughs> Coming into the earth. And, yeah, do you have siblings? Just, I have a sister. Yeah, okay. Carrie. Yeah, Carrie's my sister. And um, so I was born uh, December 11th in 1971. And um, I just, all I can remember my whole life is uh, sports. Like that was my whole life. Oh. I played every sport except for soccer because my dad was afraid I would fight with people. I played soccer in high school, but <laughs> fight with yeah, people. <laughs> my dad, I was very aggressive. Um, I was like, you know, I always wanted to be better than everybody at everything I did. I, I mean, anything I've ever done. I remember playing like flag football in, you know, elementary school. And I was like, I'm going to kick their butts like those guys. And I would tackle the guys and I, you know, I was just really aggressive kid. And, um, I really loved playing baseball. I played softball because, you know, at the time girls really didn't play baseball. But my dad played um, on a double uh, A AA baseball team every Sunday. Um, so we'd meet lots of pros in the off seasons that would come through that uh, through that uh, through the either the team or players that would live in SoCal and they would play on okay. um, play in other leagues um, in SoCal. So it was super cool. And I would every Sunday go out and I would drag the field with my dad and line it and put out the bases and I'd warm up catch with all the players. And I just always thought I'd be a professional baseball player. Just like, I'm like, what's going to hold me back. I'm going to be a base professional baseball player. And then um, I found BMX and um, so I found BMX at 11 years old, and okay. I just fell in love with BMX racing, and um, I just pivoted away from baseball. Yeah. Um, I did a lot of running. I was a runner also. Um, short, like I'd do like 800. Uh, that was like kind of 800 meters was my run. We called it the 880. Okay. Um, and uh, I always thought that I was going to be a runner, but then I remembered I had a bicycle. So <laughs> that's why I didn't do running. Well, I think I would <laughs> if I, I had a really bad uh, crash when I was 12 on my BMX bike and tore the uh, cartilage in my left knee. And um, running just became more and more difficult for me to manage um, the knee health. Um, so BMX just kind of took over. And eventually, uh, at age 20, I started racing mountain bikes. Okay. Um, but, yeah, so, I mean, throughout the process, I love roller skating. I used to speed skate race all the time. Um, I just always just remember 
I was always physical. Just, that was just, just going all I did. Full I mean, throttle and everything. Full throttle. I mean, I just loved it. Yeah. Everything, everything I did. Even today, I mean, I'm not as full throttle. You know, I'm 50 and I'm trying to not be stupid after that crash in 2019. <laughs> See, I'm still learning too. Um, and, uh, and so I, I try not to be completely full throttle anymore. Yeah. But, um, you know, I, my ego gets in the way sometimes and I pretend that I'm like, world champion sometimes on runs and then i have to you know check myself at the end and go you're an idiot just slow down (laughs) right yeah that's that's a tough one it's tough it is is. it's tough yeah so okay so you raced bmx for nine years before you got into mountain bikes Uh, about um i i stopped racing bmx um in uh 19 mm, wait when did i stop racing bmx um in 1988 okay and then i started no no sorry in 1990 1990 and then i started racing mountain bikes in 1992 okay so I, I went to college and i was in i was in school and um and i had some neighbor friends that were like you should race mountain bikes it's this cool sport and i had remembered a year before them telling me this i remember a year before i was watching dave cullinan who's actually getting inducted into the mountain bike hall of fame this weekend nice and um and i remember watching him race in 1991 up at mammoth and just so happened to be up there camping and um and i remember that sport is gnarly i would never that's like crazy i would never do something like that <laughs> I'm, and a year later, I was racing that. Yeah. Race. Like, it's just funny how, and I didn't, I didn't want to race that race. And to be perfectly honest, if that was all mountain biking was at the time. Yeah. Um, and that was just downhill. Even after I raced that race, I don't think I would have continued racing. Yeah. Um, I thought it was scary. Um, I mean, I was good at it, but I wasn't great at it. And it was really intimidating. The racers were super intimidating. I mean, warming up on wind trainers and rollers. And they were all like, you know, aerodynamic suits. And here I roll up with like freaking like, I mean, baggy shorts, (laughs) vans, you know, like a T-shirt. I look like a total dork compared to all these racers. And I mean, I didn't, I knew nothing about mountain biking. Nothing. Yeah. Um, And, uh. But it was the dual slalom. Okay. So they had a dual slalom. And um, and that race, I ended up racing in the pro category just by default that it was experts and pros that raced together at the same time. And I beat Missy Giovi at that race. Okay. And that is how I was recognized as a potential athlete. And um, people were like, we want to sponsor you. And I thought it was crazy because in BMX, nobody ever did that. Yeah. I remember like making my first resume at 12 years old and every single company declined me. And, um, and I rode for Pedal Power Bike Shop, uh, Pedal Power BMX. They were in orange and they were my sponsor my entire racing career. They have a shop now in Riverside, like a BMX shop. So it's kind of cool. They still, they, it's not the same owner, but the name's still there. Yeah. So it's kind of neat. But um, so mountain biking was a completely... It, different experience for me as far as a racer goes and um it was but it was dual slalom that piqued my interest that that really got me into mountain biking okay but it's downhill that was the really respected money making you know high level sponsorship yeah uh requirement 
for yeah. an athlete. Yeah. So I had to learn to be good at both. It, it's funny how um, I was never a good, I never raced gate racing as a kid. So like by the time I started getting into the sport, like dual slalom and then four cross later on, like I could go the speed of the experts my age once I was out of the gate, <laughs> but they were already, they were already five you know, yeah, you bike lengths that, in front of me. So I would snap. just, I would just wait for Hollywood and those guys to take each other out in the first turn. And I would just dive to the inside. But it's always funny to me that for athletes, for, for what I hear, even the kids today on the, the, the team, our team, that they love dual slalom. They absolutely love, like they almost love it more than downhill racing because of the, the quickness, the gait, gate racing head to head um but it is still downhill that gets more yeah and it's and dual slalom's kind of more enticing for the for the fan to watch absolutely right yeah Yeah. but the difference of dual slalom is i mean let's be real how many do you really have throughout the right so if somebody put a dual slalom like like kyle and rachel built that one at yeah big bear if it stayed there all summer like it's it would and they actually did every other week racing and then had did weekly racing or yeah. Well, even two times a month. Right. Yeah. And then a head to head when they have their their straight acres, that'd be bitching. Right. Like, yeah. Who, how many more people? I mean, Snow Valley has one. They don't do anything with it. Like, you know, you look at all these and it's like if we can have it more, I think it would bring in more. But if it's to build up a bike to do dual slalom, sea otter and and. Straight, straight acres, acres yeah. and then the invitational at at kyle and rachel's house like what else is there really i mean yeah i mean you know? it's just not nationally or globally supported right, yeah. right. so you but then they had it not then they had it at us it. open though in vermont you know yeah. but like uh, yeah. yeah and i mean and that's the thing it's just it's it's put out there sporadically um but you know it's like i i know you love uh supercross and yeah. motocross racing and you know, Honda or, you know, Yamaha or Kawasaki, they're not sponsoring riders just because they went and did, you know, straight line. Or, right. You know, they, they don't care about that. Right. They want a title. Right. They want to win a title and say, our bike is the Supercross 2022 Ch- champion. We're right. like, you know what I mean? So I think that that's what racing is about. Yeah. And if, you know, I can say, oh, cool, I won the Sea Otter Dual Slalom, a sponsor's like, cool, but that's not world champion. Yeah. You know, like, that's what they want to advertise. Yeah. Yeah. And bike companies, they need that, yeah. you know, and... Um, Validation. I, they do. And, I mean, you want to know that you're on the world champion bike. Right. You got that sticker on that. Every frame that they sell, they can put world champion on there, right. you know? And so, it's... It, I think that companies, they... They're going to put a lot of sponsorship dollars into something. It's not going to say Sea Otter Champion on yeah, it. Yeah. So if we could get the UCI or, you know, <laughs> we could get the UCI. Have a little picture to, of an otter on there. <laughs> to bring back dual slalom racing. Yeah, not but, that four But did you see my Sea Otter sticker on my bike again? <laughs> and no offense against Sea Otter. I freaking love Sea Otter. I do too. So grateful Sea Otter. And I use them as an example because they are consistent in right. always ha- always having um, the dual solemn race at their events, and it definitely is. It's one of the funnest events out there. Yeah. And um, and I I've participated. I've been a you know I've I've spectated. Uh, I've always had a great time at that dual solemn, but for some reason you know we haven't pushed as an industry to make that. Um, 
a, a recognizable category. Yeah. And um, and I think it just comes – I always felt like it just came down to, like, the respect of the athlete. They're like, well, you don't have to – oh, Huck wants to play <laughs> ball in here. Um, you don't have to train as hard as we do. You know, it all came down to training. And um, and it and honestly, it always would make me a little irritated because, yeah, I may not like look like I have to train super hard for this, but I have to do extra sprint work. I have to do more focus work because I'm in a gate next to somebody that might be intimidating me. Um, I've you know, I've got to nail my run like I can't make any mistakes if I'm going to win that race. Yeah. And then you have fans everywhere screaming um, and then you got to get a gate start. Um, there's so many um, skills that are required to be a great dual slalom racer. Um, and, you know, for me, I think I was the greatest during my era. I mean, I there was everybody wanted to beat me, um, but it wasn't like that even mattered. It just what mattered is what my downhill results were. Yeah. And always that's always yeah. what it mattered. Yeah. And like when I said earlier about like that wasn't my focus, the World Cup. The World Cup was really never my focus until um my last year I retired because they didn't support dual solemn racing. Yeah. And I love dual solemn racing and I wanted to win every dual solemn I entered. And so Norba was my focus always. Okay. Um, and that's why I have a lot of those national titles. And I felt like Norba supported that. And it was very, um, very competitive. And, um, and you know, and I love all the women I got to race with because they really, uh, uh, they gave me. <laughs> he's chewing. Oh, the, he, he's oh gosh, chewing. he's chewing the wood there on the side. Oh, he's so fun. <laughs> oh, he's so cute. I can see why the podcast is named after him. <laughs> you are just full of it. Um, but anyways, I just um, and I and I, you know, I think in the World Cup that was just. That, and I always felt like this. I did not like racing the duel at all or the four cross. Um, I, I personally hated racing that. And um, I only supported it the last few years because I was at the time sponsored by Schwinn and they mandated that I race those races. Um, and it was cool. I did win that World Cup at yeah. the, in 2001 in the duel. So that was kind of cool. But um, I won a dual slalom. And um, I almost was like anti all those races because I just wanted to race dual slalom. Huh. Yeah, that's it's the cool. fun. It's I the funnest sport. I didn't yeah. know that though. That's that's cool. Yeah, you found your passion in, in something that you were doing. So, and now you talk about you talked about Hall of Famer. We didn't bring up. I know you're going through some of it. You're in the Hall of Fame a couple times, right? <laughs> I have, yeah, she's in a few just, of them. You know, yeah, just, three three of them actually. Okay, and one of them are you uh, are you the only female? Um, only female in. No, multiple, right? I think the I'm the only currently, and I'm not even sure if this is accurate, but it might be, um, the only female athlete that's in the BMX and the mountain bike hall of fame. Yeah, that's yeah. weird. Yeah. Okay. So, and then um, Dang, last can I have year, your autograph? oh goodness, <laughs> last year I got into the, um, I was uh, honored to be included in the U.S. Bicycling Hall of Fame. And so that was hosted at USA Cycling okay. in Colorado Springs. Yeah, yeah. And um, and that was really neat because that's all of cycling, and it's really a lot of road-based athletes. Um, there's a lot of road-based athletes in that Hall of Fame, um, it, so it was really neat to meet quite a few of those, um, not only racers and riders, but you know, team uh, managers and uh, team support people, um, and uh, yeah, it was uh, it was a, it was it was different for me. 
And I think that's what's cool with my new. Oh. <laughs> Huck saw oh, something. Huck sees the dog. Oh. Oh, Huck's like, oh my god, that's my girlfriend. <laughs> oh, <laughs> he hit the Dad, camera. that's my girlfriend. <laughs> Hold on, he hit the oh. camera. Oh my gosh. Jay, shut the door when he goes in. Too funny. Okay. Oh, that's so cute. Oh, he's fun. Are we back on scene we're, now? We're we back good? on. Yeah, we're right. good. <laughs> you. Uh, I know. I know. He was running so quick. Those of you guys just listening, he hit the <laughs> tripod. So the camera went dirt. <laughs> and now the mailman is here. Yeah. Or the uh, mail delivery person. Yeah, exactly. Um, and because uh, I don't know if he's a man. Um, but uh, no, that's out. awesome. That's yeah. awesome, though, because like I didn't know that Jay was telling me about the Hall of Fame thing. And I was like, wow. Like, you know, and, and if you ever meet Lee in person, like, totally down to earth doesn't act like she's better like will help you out like that's the cool part right like i'm you- not though i mean i just had success on a bicycle and i've been honored which i'm totally appreciative to but i'm not any different than anybody else right but yeah. you know you talk about roadies or like the cross country you see how some of those people are unapproachable un- uh, yeah you've always been even from i mean remember i met you in, in some of your heyday and you weren't ever like who are you like yeah. you know what i mean and so it's cool I mean, honestly, I would say the majority of people are probably like me. Yeah. I think what happens is is that, you know, I I never thought I was ever better than anybody. I mean, I was raised by my I mean, my dad's a truck driver. I mean, we were very regular people, right? I mean, I was never raised with any like my like my daughter was at a friend's house this week and she's like, "Oh my god, mom, you would trip out. They're like so rich." And I'm like, yeah, that just that doesn't impress me. But like, it's cool. Good for them. I'm yeah. happy for people that right. live in big houses and have gorgeous views of the ocean and whatever. Like, I'm so happy for them. But that's just not that's not important to me. Yeah. And um, what people are important to me, like, yeah. you know, and sharing my love with people, uh, which is bikes. I love bikes. And, you know, it's just I just love that about the life I've been given. You know, the bicycle has given me that gift. Um, you know, it's not like I, I'm so great that I made my own life great. No, the bicycle made my life right. great. And the people in and around the bicycle and all the people that supported me and saw talent in me and, you know, gave me opportunity. I mean, without that luck, I call it luck. Without that luck, um, I, would, I don't know where I'd be. I mean, I know I'd be good at something, but I don't know if I would be as happy as I am and fulfilled. And you also uh, married somebody who's in the, who's. <laughs> I mean, let's be real, because I mean, he likes riding bikes too, right? Yeah, so, yeah. <laughs> who's your yeah. husband? So I am married to Craig Stickman Glassbell. Um, we just call him Stick. Yeah. Um, when we got married, I just said I take you Stickman because I'm like, who's Craig? Yeah. I have no yeah. idea. Who Everyone Craig knows is. him as Stickman. Um, but now it's funny. He just took a new job at Ceram too. So now we both I work heard at about Ceram. This. And um, and I'm like, and his his email is C Glassbell, and I'm like, that's so weird. Like it should say Stickman because it's just. And he's like, oh, I'm not gonna rock the boat there. I'm like, you should have a Stickman email. But that's okay. <laughs> well, that's me being Lala. Okay. You know, yeah. my real name to Lala. It's like you call my real name. It takes me a while to respond. <laughs> if I have an email, even if I get a call, you know, and they say my name, I'm like, he knows I almost said it. I, I know. Everyone knows. And I'm like, 
like, because then it's something. Because you know it's a business thing. Yeah, exactly. I'm, I'm always like, this is a creditor. No. <laughs> yeah. no, just anything like, okay, what are you trying to sell me? Exactly. What are you, like, are you, you know, you know it's not a friend. Totally, on the other end. yeah. So, and that's how I met Stick. And so yeah. it was funny because, and Stick, you say you just went to Shram, but he was at Troy Lee for how many years? 11 years. Yeah, yeah. so. So how, how, how did you meet Stick? Where where and when did so you meet Stick? So I actually, I, I guess I met Stick at my first race in Mammoth, but I don't remember. And so he always gives me crap for that. You don't remember meeting me. Um, I met a lot of people that yeah. day. Just tell me didn't do and anything that stuck I out mean, that day. Uh, I was more overwhelmed than anything. There were so many cute boys. I was like, oh, my God. <laughs> like, there are so many cute boys here. Um, so I was just so blown. Like, I hadn't been around a BMX race for a few years. And mountain biking, you know, like, there's a lot of cute boys at BMX, too. So I was just, like, surrounded by all these cute boys. And I was hanging out in John Tomac's trailer. And his mechanic was working on my bike. And, I mean, I, I just had, like, all this, like, I was just surrounded by a lot of energy and attention. And so um, I don't remember meeting him there. But I do remember <laughs> meeting him at the second race in Durango, Colorado. It was the national finals that year in 1992. And... Um, and I, uh, he, he was, he had become good friends with Brian Lopes. And so I was good friends with Brian Lopes. So we were all hanging out and I really thought he was cute and funny. And so I actually asked him to come with me to pizza with my group of guys that I was staying with. And he turned me down. <laughs> 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 and, um, and then, then, the, then this other guy, Jimmy Kite asked me out on a date. And so I ended up going out with Jimmy Kite. Um, and then we ended up kind of hanging out for a couple months. But he, Jimmy was really good friends with Stickman, And that's really how I became good friends with Stick. Um, and eventually, we, you know, we realized that we actually really liked each other. And we started dating um, at the end of, like, 93. Oh, yeah. okay. Yeah, that's so, funny. Yeah, we've been together for a long time. We just celebrated in last February our 22nd year of marriage. So okay. we're coming up on 23, and, you know, it's tough. I mean, marriage is hard. Oh, yeah. Yeah, it's really hard. Um, and but, you have a 17-year-old daughter. And I have a 17-year-old daughter who's going to gra graduate. Easy. Yeah, who's going to graduate. <laughs> Hopefully, no, she'll graduate. Graduate next year in 2023. So she's in her senior year of high school. And, yeah, I think the hardest thing is raising a – human within your marriage right and i think that's why I, I a lot of people i meet often they're like their kids you know two and four or three and six six or whatever and they're like we're getting divorced and i'm always like oh my god i wanted to get divorced every week when my daughter was that age like it's just so hard yeah. and um and like just the you know, the, our our life, I think, these days is so full and busy and demanding financially and physically and emotionally that I think it's so difficult. And it's crazy. Like, I, uh, you know, I, I remember getting to about year 10 and I was like, OK, like, you know, we can go away now on vacation together and like reconnect. And, you know, right now it's kind of the same right now. It's like our daughter's like, you know, she's pretty not She's a she's awesome, you know, but. She also has a lot of consumingness, right? We're putting a lot of energy into her. And I noticed like recently, I'm like, we need to get away together. Like we haven't connected a lot. So, you know, it's, um, but Stick and I, yeah, we, um, I would say overall fairly solid. Yeah. And, um, you know, we share a lot of the same loves. Um, and, uh, 
I think, yeah, we clearly we must be good for each other yeah. at some rate, right? We've been together for like 30 years. <laughs> right? I remember, I can't believe your daughter's 17. I remember Jen. Yeah. Jen and and your daughter yeah. at like sea otters and all the races like what, what's Jen and Jeff's daughter's name? Uh, well, she's going by Reed now. Okay, so okay. yeah, she goes by Reed okay. and um, yeah. Okay. Oh my gosh, and they're just at sea otter. You're yeah. like total dusty <laughs> master running up and down the road. Yeah, I have a I have a really fun story to share about that. <laughs> what? So they're on top of the intense trailer yep. plane, right? So I walk up there, see what they're doing, and Grace looks at me and she goes. Who are you? And I said, I'm Jason. Grace, uh, yeah. Grace is my daughter. Yeah. Yes. yes. And so, and so I said, what are you guys doing? And she goes, do you know who my mom is? <laughs> and so I play it off, right? Like, I know, right? So I'm like, no, who's your mom? It's Lee Donovan. Do you know her? I said, yeah. I said, you tell her that you got to meet Jason Simpson. <laughs> And I just turned around and walked back down. It's like, who's Jason Simpson? Who cares about that? So I remember <laughs> I was with the kids down below. That's so cute. And then there, and then Jay came and told me that, and I was laughing. And you were down there with with Jen. Jen. And so I was laughing because then they came down, and as they're coming down that ladder of the the thing, they're looking at Jay and looking over at you guys like. What does he really know? Like, who is he? You know, I, I strutted around like I knew something. <laughs> yeah, I love it. Do you know who my mom is? <laughs> That's so funny because she would never say that now. <laughs> right, but you're in the bike area, yeah. and it's like, yeah. do you know who my mom is? You know, you're in in Lee's world there. Yeah, yeah. Exactly. Well, you know, and it's funny. I mean, it's kind of sad in a way because it going to all those events all those years. <laughs> You know, she loves racing and she, she loves the energy of, uh, you know, being in the pits and all of that. But because people would ask her often, oh, are you going to be like your mom? Um, you know, are you going to be world champion? Um, she really turned her off from bike riding bikes. And um, she won't ride bikes anymore. Mm. Like we took her in Whistler. She did one day with us in the bike park. And, and I laughed after we were done. I told, my, I told Stick, I said, isn't it funny, like, our kid literally hasn't ridden a bike on a downhill park for probably four years. And she rode from the top of the mountain down, like from the second chair. I'm like, how crazy is that? She's so good. Yeah. But, you know, she doesn't ride yeah. at all. Well, that's like Jay's daughter. My so daughter's Haley, same, she worked same in the way. store with me. But what's really funny is then I was on an ALC ride and, and she was going to do the from lunch to dinner. And my friend Tina Grant was riding and I it's said. Like a 40 mile Yeah, it's 40 ride. miles. But this is wow. through like. You know, I'm going on the five, so you know all the hills. It's all and everything. wine country. It's yeah, and so she's. I'm like, are you sure? And so we had demo bikes and stuff. So she jumped on that, put a helmet. We got her in a kit, and I'm like, are you sure, Haley? She's like, yeah. I'm like, call me. I won't take the freeway back. I'll take roads back, so that way I can see that you're good. Yeah. She like made it no. This girl hadn't been on a bike. Yeah. Much less a road bike. Yeah. That's yeah. Totally same. Different. Same. Yeah. Totally. Same deal. Years. Yeah. And I'm like, are you sure? She goes. We got back. She's like, I had so much fun. <laughs> she had called her dad and told him. I'm like, and I told Jay. I'm like, can you believe she just? And I was explaining to him where it was. He was like, Yeah. It was like that whole oh, Santa crazy. Rosa area. Yeah. Like it's hilly. That's so cool. And and Tina was like, <laughs> I said, how was she? there was one big climb and I knew that climb was in there, and I said, how'd she do the climb? She goes. She was pacing right with me, yeah. and Tina rides all the time. And I was like, that's, oh, my God. That's how Grace would be, for yeah. sure. And yeah, I mean, it, sounds, it and just it's reminds cool. me of that. And yeah, I, And I, awesome. I hope that someday, you know, she'll 
she'll want to kind of join me on rides again. She's really into music and she's a singer songwriter right now. And, you know, that's really her focus. Yeah. So, um, but you didn't get on a mountain bike till 20. We're good. Well, I, yeah, except for I was on a bike most of my life. But yeah, um, yeah, the BMX. But maybe the natural BMX talent from both of you guys. Is- I, I just want her to ride bikes. I think right. it's healthy. I think yeah. it's fun. It's um, a reset. The adventure that I feel like I've had around the world, seeing terrain and locations and meeting certain people and experiencing different cultures. I mean, I've had all of that from the bicycle. And, you know, I I think, you know, she if she ends up pursuing music and she finds success in it, she'll have a lot of amazing experiences as well. But the bike takes you to these remote towns mm-hmm. and places where you're never going to see them if you don't ride a bicycle. Well, and- again, what did a lot of people t- hashtag on thing like? What, what you could see from your bike, you know? Yeah. Because yeah. you're not going to get a vehicle up in some yeah. of those areas. Yeah, oh, gosh. Yeah. And I yeah. don't even have some of the riding ability to get to some of those. I'm like, where's those waterfalls at? Where's this? And I'm yeah. like, oh, that takes climbing. I'm out. <laughs> you know, I'm like, I don't need I to see you it. You know? I hear you there. <laughs> is, there um, is there a chairlift up to that yeah. spot? Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Hey, why don't we take a, a quick break? Okay. And then uh, come back. And I want to, I know what, what the hard part is turning athlete to to the job the job industry and you're still in the bike industry which is great but we'll talk about some of that too coming up the t3 mountain bike program is your place for socal gravity racing t3 is sponsored by shimano odi laser kenda Kushcore, fast house transition muckoff magic sc gopro museum and rhino power you can get all these products and more at Roy Cyclery, located in Upland, California. And we're back. Yeah. <laughs> she didn't run away from us yet. We're good. Yeah. <laughs> we had to yeah. just strap her down to the chair in between. We're good. Yeah. <laughs> I'm only in a straight jacket right now. Yeah. Right, really? I know, huh? Um, so before leading into that, we were talking about your, your marriage and, and daughter and life as as you know it now um well there was kind of a we were talking off camera just a minute ago about some some ventures that you had post race post race uh career yeah um so why don't why don't we kind of pick up there like so you retired from racing full time yeah so in at the end of 2001 um i retired from racing my last race was at uh, the world champs in vale colorado Um, that was a really emotional weekend as well. Um, that was, uh, that was the weekend just right after nine 11. Um, and a lot of racers couldn't make it to the race that were coming from Europe. That was all the airplanes got shut down across the world. It was a really, um, like, I mean, I literally have the chills right now just thinking about it. Um, it was the most incredible moment of unity at our opening ceremonies when, Every single country, um, I'm going to get emotional about it, carried an American flag in the openings. Every country carried American flag oh, wow. walking in for the American for the opening ceremony. Got me and Jay getting yeah. together. Yeah. Yeah. It was it was just so moving, and that whole week um, and weekend of racing was met with um, just kindness and respect and. Um, you know, all the vendors in uh, Vail, Colorado were just so welcoming. And every time you'd walk into their shop, you would chat. And 
people were so appreciative just to, you know, be alive, I think. I mean, it was such a scary time in our world. Mm -hmm. And um, and so it's like I retired on that note in a way. And um, and it, there was a lot of sadness. And um, but there was a, for me, there was so much unity that happened at that event. And I got to see such a beauty in the human beings, um, that race and that run events. And I just thought it was incredible. And so that was my last professional like you know, being a paid athlete race in, in my career, even though I've raced many races since then. Um, yeah, but, um, yeah, I, um, I really wanted to stay in the industry. Mm -hmm. Um, I thought I would, I had really, um, learned a lot. Um, I was a, you know, I had tested a lot of product that was in market at the time, which is still in market today. And, um, I thought that uh, I would I was going to take this job with Mavik. Um, I was going to be their sports marketing person there, and unfortunately, um, miscommunications or whatever ended up happening. Um, they ended up just not getting back to me, um, even though they told me they were going to hire me, <laughs> and it was so weird. And I was like, "Wow, it's the weirdest thing ever." Um, but uh, I didn't know what I was going to do, and um, I uh, I ended up taking a job with Hanson's Beverage Company which ended up becoming, I was in the room when the monster can was unveiled. Um, there was about 20 or 25 of us at Hanson's that got to see the monster can for the first time. And that's when I knew I was not good at marketing because I said, that thing is so lame and <laughs> that is so not going to make anything. I mean, wow, you're making this big ass energy can with this monster logo on it, like the M and it's like so ugly to me. And I, I die laughing. I'd probably be a millionaire if I would have stayed um, or a multimillionaire. I'm sure I'd be so rich right now. Um, but instead I was like, that's just not for me. And, um, and so... <laughs> And so and it's so funny how that whole category just blew up and um and you know it's like and that's great leadership. They had great leadership there. They knew what they were doing. I'm happy being broke. <laughs> No, no, but the, thing, the funny I'm thing kidding. is, even at the time, like we had the little energy can at the time, so that was the Red Bull competitor. And I remember, I remember like energy i just thought i thought energy was cool but they used to have this drink called Energade, and it was like cocaine and um and gatorade like that's what it felt like you drink it you're like yes this is like cocaine and gatorade um and that's what the drink i thought would be awesome i'm like it's like it tastes like gatorade but you get the energy out of it and i just thought that was what we were gonna you that's what i thought it would be. not this m logo and i didn't think this m thing was going to be anything and i remember sure i remember coming home from that and telling stick i'm like oh my god you should see the direction they're going i am out of there like that is so not for me and i already knew at that time anyways i was going to open this clothing boutique tangerine with jen and jeff steber from intense um, I always had been an, interested in fashion and throughout taking that Hanson's job, we were doing a little co-op with spy optics at the time and Jen worked for spy optics. And so Jen was my teammate in 99 and Randy Lawrence as well, um, on, uh, intense. Um, so they were my teammates in 1999, but I would become really good friends with Jen over the years. And, um, yeah, one day Jen and I were at a trade show, uh, SIA trade show in um, Las Vegas and um, I said, wouldn't it be fun to like own a clothing boutique? 
And, or no, I think Jen said that to me. She said, wouldn't it be fun to own a clothing boutique? She was always super into fashion. And I said, yeah, let's do it. So we called Stick and Jeff. We were in Las Vegas. We're like, hey, you guys, come out. Stick and Jeff are friends. Come out. And we've got this idea we want to propose to you. And literally within 48 hours, Tangerine was happening. And um, and that was in February of 2002. Okay. And I stayed on with Hanson's through probably the end of August or something. So I, st- I kept the job because um, you know, nothing was happening yet. And then I took, then I was like, we're doing this. I took a job at the mall and um, the mall in Temecula was opening. Um, we moved out to Temecula to do the job, to open the store from San Clemente. Um, that was a move. That was for sure a big yeah, move. Definitely. Yeah, definitely. I had this incredible, awesome beach house. <clears throat> and to this day, I'm like, what was I thinking? <laughs> what was I thinking? Where's I the water? amazing <laughs> beach house and I moved to Temecula. Um, but no, I, lo- I actually loved, I loved Temecula. And, um, and so we, uh, we moved out there in August of 2002 and I took a job at the mall in 2000 and, um, uh, in, in, in September of 2002 working for express that clothing store. Um, and it was a brand new wing of the Temecula mall. And so they, uh, they hired me and I, I, I got to learn how to completely, open a store from the ground up. I got so lucky without that experience. I don't know how, I don't know if Tangerine would have been as organized or as successful at the beginning. Um, but because I took that job and I worked there for, I think like the next six months I worked there or something. Um, uh, it was, it was great. And you talk about being humbled, right? Like, or like, you're like, you're so nice and all that stuff. Well, it's like, I've, you know, after racing, um, you know, just to kind of back up when I retired from racing, Schwinn went bankrupt in, in, um, 2001. Um, and so my last paycheck from them came in like August of 2001. So at the end of the seasons, we were all paying for our own housing. We we're getting paid no money. Right. The day after I got home from Vail, I went and applied at a, like a, a restaurant, Hennessy's in Dana Point. And I applied for a job and they hired me like right away. And I started working there within a week of coming home from the world championships, which I was standing on the podium in third place um, because I need, I, I, I didn't necessarily need the money, but I needed income. I had no income. And so, you, you know, I got humbled right away. And when I retired, it wasn't like, you know, there wasn't people offering me jobs there. There wasn't like all this opportunity coming my way. There wasn't, you know, nobody going, oh, my God, we want to help you out. We're so sorry. There was I mean, and no offense to anyone or like, you know, not not blaming anyone. But it was like I was on my own. You retired. Cut cord is cut. You don't have any sponsorship dollars coming in because your contract is null and void because they went bankrupt. And, um, and so I had kind of had to quickly figure things out anyways. And I think that in a way was a good thing, um, because it really made me hungry to start this boutique at some point. And then, so fast forward to now we're going to open Tangerine. Um, and we've signed our lease in 2002 and we opened Jan- July 18th of 2003. And, um, I remember Jen and I, you know, we were like, we had never owned a retail store. We didn't really know that much. We took a couple business classes. I had worked in that in, at Express for six months. 
And, um, and I just remember I was really goal oriented. I used to work for a dentist and before I started racing mountain bikes and they would always every week have their like goal sheet. This is our weekly goal sheet. This is our monthly goal sheet. And it was always numbers based. And I really learned from them how to really run a numbers based business. And, um, and so I just did the same with tangerine. I was like, okay, here's our goals, right? Like here's how much it costs to keep the doors open, right? Rent, you know, uh, at the time we didn't have any employees, so we didn't have a whole lot of other expenses, but you know, our, 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 our cam charges, like, you know, whatever our charges were to keep our doors open, electricity, phone, internet, whatever. And so I was like, okay, so we need, I think it was like $365. We have to make $365 a day. Like, you know, we don't know what our store is going to generate. We have no idea. And our first sale was like $1,065. <laughs> You're like, well, the doors are open for next month. <laughs> and I just remember, you know, and she, the woman drived up in a G-Wagon and, you know, and she was so cool. And that day we had three sales over $1,000. And, um, and I just remember like we closed the doors that day and we're like, holy crap, like, are we going to be like, we're going to be successful, I think. <laughs> and, and we had tons of people come in that day and we ended up being very successful. Our store, um, for five of the eight years that we were open did over two and like $2.2 million in sales. Um, even the year we closed, we did uh, one point, almost $1.5 million in sales. Um, and uh, so financially, the store was really successful. And when we grew into having over a million dollars of retail merchandise on the floor, um, it was really, it was exciting. That's a um, lot. We loved it. We had seven amazing employees. Um, and, uh, and, and our first employee we ever hired was there when we closed the doors. Um, so... Uh, it was great. I learned so much about retail, which is great with my new SRAM job, like being a field guide and working with uh, retail stores. Um, that's been, uh, it's been really helpful me understanding the retail side. Um, but it was really good for me just to grow up as a, as like an adult. I was such a bro. And I mean, I kind of still am. Like I always say, I'm kind of <laughs> like an 18 year old boy. Like when my daughter's always like, you're so embarrassing. Cause like whenever I'm around like the boys, I'm like fist pumping. Oops. We got, <laughs> we got Gardner here. <laughs> oh, we got the Gardner here. He's like, I'm here. And we're like, bro, bad <laughs> timing. Um, <laughs> we might have to take another pause until he's finished. He's going to walk the other way. Right? Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> they know. They know him. They yeah. know. They know. They know how it goes. But Schedule. So, uh, so yeah. Anyways, I mean, I, I, I am kind of like still a bro boy, kind of like you know. That's just, <laughs> that's just nor. That's what I'm comfortable with, right? Like yeah. I want to go hit the jumps, and I want to go ride the pump track, and I want to go do downhill runs, and you know, even at 50 years old, I'm like, I have to check myself. I'm like, you look like a grandma. And you need to slow it down because you're scaring that 12-year-old kid right now that you're trying to ride with. Um, but it, it really did help me um, just grow up and, uh, and gain confidence um, for, for myself in a different way as right. not an athlete. Yeah. And, you know, no well, one, I yeah. mean, there's so many uh, – I mean, it's such a shift, right? Oh, I mean, it's it a complete, totally completely different like world. Bikes to fashion. Yeah, a different world. <laughs> Complete shift. Now you're talking about all kinds. I mean, having employees. Yeah. Like, oh yeah. my gosh. Like, yeah. It's so. 
Yeah, and, then, and that, huge learning and that, experience. You know, and having Jan on my side with a lot of that from Intense. Jan is awesome. I mean, if anyone out there knows her, she's incredible. Um, she she's educated. Um, she's very hardworking, um, dedicated. I mean, she's just somebody that you know you're lucky to have on your side for yeah. sure. And I was so fortunate. Um, she handled a lot of the marketing and sales aspect of the business. And I kind of handled a lot of the buying and budgets. And I handled, like I always said, say she handled the, the letters and I handled the numbers. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. Good way I, to put it. Yeah. So and we kind of split the business that way, the way we did it. And um, and, you know, overall, it was uh, it, it, it was mostly an incredibly awesome experience. Yeah. Um, you know, a female dominated industry going from a male dominated industry to a female dominated industry. That was, uh, I really loved, I honestly, I loved it. And that's where I learned like, wow, women are badasses, you know? Cause I feel like my whole life I was kind of told that women were secondary. And, um, and if you go into the fashion industry, wow, it's like, well, that's not true. <laughs> yeah. I mean, these women are running billion dollar brands, creating billion dollar brands. Um, these sales women they know what they're doing i mean you know there's men that work in that industry too but it's literally the complete opposite of the bike industry as far as like sex power goes yeah, yeah. oh girl you ain't telling me yeah I, yeah I know i worked retail <laughs> for 26 years and and believe me we didn't have the internet in the beginning it was like those thick cage jazz books <laughs> yeah. and the new the new cannondale books came out or the you know and you take them home and you study them to learn you know and it's like and especially what how i did because I'll be damned if somebody's going to ask me something I didn't know. Yeah. I wanted to learn. Like, yeah. I'm, you know, like, I, I laugh because the first inner bike I went to had the, you know, Toe Peak was in the center and it was huge, right? <laughs> like, they had, and I'm like, wow, I only th thought Toe Peak sold six things that we had on hooks, right? <laughs> so, it was cool because when I learned that, and I, and I, I can remember that moment because I'm like, even though I don't have it in the store... I can order it for them. Like, wow. So I just started learning everything. Like, yeah. stupid QBP book was this yeah. thick, right? And it's just like, but that's how I learned it because there was men who would walk by me. Oh. Would not give me a time of day to help. I knew the damn answer. Yeah. Like, I knew it, you know? And, you know, I mean. I, I always like when they go walk past you and go and ask a mechanic qu a question and they're like, I don't know. Let me go ask Lala. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> they yeah. go to Lala sure. to get the answer. Yeah, because yeah, it wasn't just product. Like, I, you know. I, I mean, what does it take to build a DI2 bike? Here, you needed all this, you know? Yeah. And they're like, how do you know how many cables? I'm like, well, you know. You've been and doing so, this for a couple yeah, seconds. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So it's funny because I still get that once in a while. Um, but it is what it is. And, I mean, I, I used to let it bother me. But now I'm yeah. like, oh, whatever. Like, you're yeah. I'm, I'm good. I, I'm, I know what I know. And, and I'm the first one. If I don't know something, I'm like, Hold on. Yeah. I don't know that. Let Absolutely. Me. So the one thing that does not stick in my head out of all these years, suspension. <laughs> I don't know why. That's I don't, I don't, I don't play with my sag. Yeah. I don't ride my bike enough to mess with my, yeah. my, what they call sag now, but you know, your, your, your rebound setup. and yeah. all that. My your whole setup. And so like customers like, okay, what's the rebound? You know, and I'm like, hold on. <laughs> yeah. You know, and I straight out am upfront about that. Like I don't, it does not stick in my head and I'm a hands-on person anyways. Yeah. But, like, even selling, like, the lefties, you know, on Cannondale's, I got a rush from Billy Riddell. And I went riding. And um, it was Jay, his brother. We were doing a race in Fontana on that Saturday. Went riding. And I was like, I stopped. And they're like, are you okay? You know? 
I'm like, yeah. And they're looking at me. I'm like, I'm on a lefty. And I had been selling them yeah. for years. But you had never experienced Yeah. One. And, you know, of course, I always said, oh, yeah, it doesn't feel any different. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I just froze on this one part of Fontana. I'm like, you really don't feel the difference. Like, yeah. I'm on a lefty, yeah, you know? that's so cool. And so it's so funny on, on how things go full yeah. circle on how, you know, but I love it. So I understand the, the you know, and, and now I, there's a lot more women in, the, in getting into the bikes and doing all that. So, but. Back then, it was it was a tough one for sure, but it was fun. Yeah, I mean, I still think that the bike industry has a ways to go, and and the appeal for women, right? It's like I hear bike shops often go, "Well, we're trying to find a woman." I'm like, "Well, it's about inviting women. It's mm-hmm. about making the space more inviting and, mm-hmm. and exciting, and you know, you feel that you belong there. And you know, I know probably a lot of your listeners are men, but you know, I, I've accomplished a lot on the bicycle, mm-hmm. a lot. And um, now I work in the industry where I'm visiting bike shops, um, uh, probably about, you know, 15 to 20 bike shops a week in my region that I manage um, as a field guide. And um, I'm delivering education and, you know, hopefully giving stoke and all that. And some of these people I'm meeting for the first time, they've never met me. Yeah. And um, and I have been met with some real disrespect mm-hmm. and um, sad. Con- con- I mean, it's sad, but it's reality. Yeah. Speak um, where the, the the man will speak at me and tell me about the business and and you know and 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 I, and I mean, it's disgusting mm-hmm. to me that mm-hmm. you just walk in, I introduce myself, and you just assume I know nothing. And I think that's something mm-hmm. I've learned through this job and you know at, through life is like. Meet people with curiosity. Mm. Don't meet them with like you as assumption, like you as you know what what who they are. Mm-hmm. Because if you meet people with curiosity, you're not going to make them feel like they're 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 not respected or valued. Yeah, right. um, And I think that's that's something we can all learn in every regard that we um, we we walk into or like yeah. any, any experience we have. So, um, but I would say overall, you're right. The bike industry is definitely better, um, more inclusive. And, um, and I, I, but I'd like to see it a lot, a lot more. Well, yeah, but you know what? A lot of that is too, is, I mean, it starts from home too, you know, like the dads who have daughters who, who get into, you know, like, I mean, I had Jay's daughter working with me at 15, you yeah. know, and, she didn't ride. She rode here and there. She was great at it, yeah. but she learned product. Yeah. Because the same thing. She had that drive to not. I, she wanted to know what was what, and she'd be like, "Lala, yeah. it's service." They asked for this, right? Right. And I wouldn't like, just take the yeah. phone from her. I'm like, "Okay, this is this is this. Go tell them that." Right. Like, you know. And so, you know. And years later, you know, you get a, you get a kid or a parent telling me, "Oh my God, thank you for teaching my kid that." Like, you know, because the drive they have, you know. Yeah. And so you get to be part of that, but. I think the difference, too, is, you know, what you were saying is, like, inviting them in. But I think a lot of it is not shown at home. Like, your daughter sees cycling, and, and it's a career. It could be. I didn't know cleaning cleaning businesses, and all of a sudden I'm going to be – was managing, and then to where I'm at today, I had no clue what I was going to do in life, you know. Yeah. And then here, you know, 28 years later, I'm still doing this, you know. So yeah. it's it, it's awesome, but at the same time, you have to have that – passion for it because because you you know and we just had this conversation passion 
you can't teach. No. You really can't. I can teach you to sweep, do a register, you know, how to open the doors, organize. Passion for it is different. And in the bike industry, I've seen, and I'm sure it's in industry, but what I'm in, I see that burnout and you become rude, yeah. disrespectful, right. judgmental, you know, and, and that's what it is. You're walking in and they're judging. What are you going to know? Yeah. You know, how are you going to help me? Well, and, you're, I mean, you're coming from big shoes. I understand that. Kevin Horde. He's not my, he, I'm not who I, I'm feeling Sonya's, but she's but, also got, but big Kevin, shoes. <laughs> Kevin and Sonya yeah. was amazing in this yeah. era, right? For sure. And here you've written it, you know it. Now you got to, you know, and now you didn't think you only had to know 10, 10 SKUs. You have how many SKUs and what's new? What's this? What's the difference of this and this? So remember, we had this conversation one day and I'm like, what's the new one and why? And and then I did my homework on it, you know, I figured it out. But that's what I'm saying. And that passion for that isn't, and, and I see that in hiring kids or adults or whatever. Yeah. If you're, if you're not passionate about it, it's not going to last. Same reason why we've had, uh, T3, you know, like 19 years of running a team and we don't get paid to do it, you know, and, but it's fun and it's, we're passionate that the first time you see a a kid clear something, in fact, Emily Gaycad, who is a a girl on our team and, uh, she was, she was our girl for sure. She was Jay's girl. Like this was his girl. And, um, she would first come on and she'd follow, you know, but then all of a sudden, um, she like in. And she weighed a buck 15, okay, <laughs> on a downhill bike, right? And we're, like, carving her up, and she put on, like, 10 pounds and, you know, of muscle. We had her – I mean, we had her high protein, like, yeah. you know, so many times a day. Well, it was funny, though, and she was doing three days, like, morning, afternoon, and, and dinner time, and, like, bike, gym, and, you know, something, right? We go to Whistler, they come back and they're like, she's like, lols, lols. And I'm like, what'd you do? What's going on? I'm like, everything okay? You know, the road gap into the into the jump up? And I'm like, yeah. Yeah, she, fo- she, she followed me on fade to black. Fade to oh, black. Oh, I love it. Right. Followed him like nothing. She goes, let's go again. Like, And the other day, her dad for National Daughter Day posted that. Oh, gosh. And I said, so I remember cute. my heart going to my <laughs> stomach the day you told me to do that. Yeah. So I knew from that point, and yeah. that was about a year on the t- – uh, not even that, maybe 10 months, she just excelled. Yeah. Like, oh, my gosh. Like, the naturalness and passion. Yeah. What she thought was just something she was riding with her dad. Yeah. Like, became to this. Like, she'd come down from Fontana from uh, Santa – where do they live? Santa – they lived up north, yeah. Up, Santa, Santa, uh, no, where the rock is. Morro Bay. Morro Bay. Oh, okay. And I'll say Santa Cruz. And, um, yeah, the passion, but the same yeah. thing. Like, you know, and so putting someone like that in the bike industry yeah, is, like, imagine, like, I mean, I have some people tell me, wow, you you love this. I'm like, I do. I love yeah. the fact that I can get a family outside, not on computers, not, not you know, their kids stuck to that little, outside's free. Yeah. Go enjoy it. Go. Absolutely. And at young, you might not realize it's your therapy, but I know as you get older, that's, you use the word reset. Jay's like, you know, that, that just clears, that's your time, you know? Totally. I so. mean, yeah. Without, without the outdoors, it's just, my life would be mm, not as fulfilling. Yeah. You know? So yeah. I think, um, but yes, I agree with you. And I think what you two have done with your um, team, it sounds like, um, you've really changed the lives of people and um, and given them, like, hope, I think. You know, I think sometimes, you know, life is so cutthroat and people can be so 
financially focused. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, that it's really nice to know that there's people doing things just because they love it and they want to. Well, that's because we don't like. It's because we don't like the Monster Energy logo. <laughs> That is hilarious. <laughs> <laughs> so that's the best story ever. I love that. <laughs> but I like how she started off with, oh, yeah. and that's how I knew I was going to make it in marketing. <laughs> I was like, wow, I know nothing about marketing. <laughs> <laughs> no, but that's the thing, you know. So, and then, so you're at SRAM now, but tell us too about <gasps> your, your coaching that you've done. Yeah, so in um, 2013, I... Um, I had been working at Interbike actually for a couple years, and um, and I left that job. I wasn't I wasn't fulfilled there, and my daughter at the time was eight, and um, she had said that it was clear that she wasn't very important because all mom and dad did was work, and even on the weekends they were always working, and they didn't make time for her. And at that moment, she's not she's not like you at all. Yeah. I was just like, wow, my eight-year-old just vocalized a feeling that she's having and nailed it. Like, she was right. I mean, we weren't making her feel like she mattered. Mm -hmm. And I remember Stick at the time was in Europe, and I remember calling him, and I made twice as much money as Stick made. (laughs) (laughs) I made all the money. And, and, um, and And so I just said, I said, hey, so our kid just said this. I hate my job. And I'm quitting. <laughs> and so we're going to have to figure out how to live on your little tiny salary that you make. And um, and we were, you know, we, we went back and forth and and we were going through some stuff at uh, Interbike. So I ended up leaving six weeks later. And, um, and, you know, I don't think my daughter has ever questioned that she mattered again. Yeah. Um, and that's how I choose bikes was born. Okay. Because, um, like I didn't know what I was going to do. I was kind of considering going back to fashion. I went back to college. So at the time, um, after I left Interbike, about probably six weeks later, I went and started my first, uh, you know, uh, three classes back at college. Um, so I was in college and I didn't really quite know what was going to happen. And, um, I decided I'm going to launch this, I choose bikes business. I'm going to become a mountain bike instructor um, I had at the time lived cycling and SRAM um, and Camelback um, and Trailey Designs. They were my partners on the program. And I think it was WD40 at the time. Um, so anyways, I had these sponsors come in and they all funded me uh, some a little bit better salary than others. But I got a salary from everybody. So I could I, I didn't have to worry about charging people to coach them at the beginning. Um, and we would just do it at events and I would just focus on, you know, education at events. Um, and SRAM was really good about that. Rebecca Rush had started this gold rush tour thing and I got to be part of that, which was amazing. Um, and, uh, you know, for the next five, four years, five years, for the next four years, I was just female focused only. So from 2014 through 2018, I was just women only. I had so many men request to get coached by me that by 20 I guess it was 2018 so it was through 2017 in 2018 I started coaching men as well uh, my last day before I took this job with Saram of I choose bikes full-time coaching was December 19th uh, in 2021 and um, that year about 80% of my clients were men um, so it's uh, it was a good thing 
Um, I loved coaching. I think I'm really good at it. I think that's probably the, I think I'm the best at coaching out of anything I've ever done in my life. Um, I know I can take a writer and I can transform them from just foundational skills. Mm-hmm. And um, I've saw, I saw it with writers that had been writing for 20 years and yeah. writers that had been writing for two days. Yeah. Um, but I burned out. I was coaching a lot during the pandemic, um, like five days a week. Um, and I had, you know, like three months, but I was booked three months in advance and, um, and it was, I just was teaching, I teach foundational skills. I think that's so important. Mm-hmm. Um, and so few coaches do teach that they mostly go out and ride with riders and they're riding and that wasn't my thing. I would ride with you as well, but I mostly taught foundational skills and, um, and because of that, you're, it was just like. You know, what's that movie where it's like every day is the same day? Yeah, yeah, um, Groundhog, like Groundhog day. 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 It was like it had become a little bit of Groundhog Day for me. And, you know, I loved the people I worked with. Yeah. I was so, I had so many amazing clients. But I knew I needed more. And I think on the financial side, I needed more as well. Yeah. Like I just, you know, I wasn't really making ends meet really mm-hmm. doing that and giving as much as I gave. Um so with the new role at SRAM, I'm still able at these events that we are at, I'm still able to offer some coaching and, you know, some free clinics. And so I do that mostly at Sky Park. Um, but I still get to keep in touch with it, which is cool because yeah. I, I really love that. Right. Um, but, uh, but yeah, I feel like the industry needs to better support that avenue of education. I don't think they understand it. Mm-hmm. Um, and they don't understand the impact it makes in keeping riders safe and smart um, and Keep, keeps them on their bike Keeps longer. them on their bike. Yeah. And, you know, that's that's one of the things that we do through the team, too, is, like, I, there's some kids that have come through that they're, they're really, I don't want to say they're great racers. They're good racers, but they're not great bike riders. Yeah. And it's like, I want you to love this sport because... I mean, here I am in my 50s. I just, I just raced this last weekend again, and my passion is not any less than it was 30 yeah. years ago. Yeah. Like, I I love this sport, you yeah. know. And, and it's funny because you're talking about foundational skills. So on Saturday, I did an enduro, so three stages. Stage one was okay. I'm like, okay, I'm kind of warmed up, ready for stages two and three. Two and three, it's like all my bad habits came back. <laughs> I'm like, what am I doing? Like, I know better than this. Like, yeah. I've been coaching kids and teaching. I'm like, I've got the dropped elbows. I've got, like, the basics are just out the window. Yeah. I'm like, oh, my gosh. It's like yeah. it's like any any sport, really, <laughs> any sport, you know. You, you hear about golfers or skiers or, you know, it's like you never perfect it. If you could, if you could, if you could bottle it, you would, but you can't like it's the mind gets to us. Yeah. Yeah. So sometimes it's like, you know, it could be anxiety. Yeah. It could be distraction and nerves. Mm -hmm. I mean, there's so many things. And, you know, I know for me when I was racing, um, I I learned, um, I had an amazing coach at the, when I, when I finally started becoming good at racing downhill and. He taught me um, the skill of self-hypnosis. And um, I was a, like I always say, I'm kind of an ADHD kind of person. Like I'm always distracted kind of thing. But Val really taught me um, and, and helped me learn how to train for being in a self-hypnosis, help, self-hypnotic state. And, um, and it was like a block of training. It was like six weeks. And so you would set it up to be... Um, like, oh, I want to win this race. 
So I'm going to set it up six weeks. Be I'm going to start six weeks before that race. And, um, and you know, it's crazy, but we all physically spend so much energy, you know, getting ready to become great racers and stuff. Um, and I often will ask riders like, so how much time do you spend mentally training? And generally it's zero. Mm -hmm. And I think, wow, if you want to be a great, you're going to have to train your mind. Mm -hmm. The brain is what gives us those mm -hmm. results. It's yeah. not our physical state. Our physical state is definitely a huge part of it. Yeah. But without your mind yep. being in control of that entire race run or the enduro or cross country even, mm -hmm. if you can't be in a zone and be able to stay in that zone as long as you need to or know how to turn that on to be in that zone, you'll never be a great. Ever. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. So... Uh, yeah, we've we've gone through some mental ones for sure. Oh yeah, <laughs> I mean, yeah. We had, we had. I mean, we bring this up. Jared Hansen, natural rider. Like, I remember being in New Mexico, and everyone's like, "Oh my God, Jared's gonna win!" And we have all the guys, the big names up there. And, yeah. And they're like, he was a junior kid, and everyone's like, he's gonna win it. Like, if he races what he's practicing, yeah, he's laying down heaters, right? Yeah. And I'm like, all right. But poor thing, whenever he heard the beeps go off. Yeah. <laughs> you know and he's like it's almost off the starting ramp like there's I so many people that win practice and he went and got so the book. many people <laughs> yeah and he went and got his book and he's like trying to and he's like but he was getting hurt like it yeah. was major hurt yeah. oh, you know yeah. i mean and so finally i mean this is a kid who qualified you know as a junior at mount saint Anne. there's how many jay well the kids 80 kids so they they were taking 20 at the time the junior he junior crashed. boys crashed Broken wrist, broken oh finger, and still qualified. Oh, God. Crashed into the big slider rock into the tree in the middle, yep. that wet area. Mm -hmm. Got up, still finished. The next morning, he and mind you, it was his finger, okay? His break finger? Yeah. yeah. break finger? So he goes to, to get on to do his practice run. Hardest decision I think that kid's made was to pass up his spot to give it to someone else. Yeah. And it killed him, but I'm like, it's not worth you not getting. Oh not, well, you know, Mount Saint Anne, you don't. I've seen people race there injured and get more injured. Yeah, yeah. so yeah. it's not a track you want to race injured. Yeah, so it's so funny because exactly that though, the brain, the brain is, I mean, mental is is half of it for sure. Yeah. yeah, you know, your ability to do it, everything else will come. So and that's what we try to work with the yeah. team and you know. Well, yeah, hearing it, hearing it too, is just a good reminder because I'm just like, wow, it was in my face this weekend. Like I was, I was distracted. Yeah. I was honestly, because, yeah. you know, running a team and yeah. Lala, Lala right. wasn't up there this weekend. She yeah. had to work. And so it's yeah. like, I was there setting up and doing all It's like, probably shouldn't have been racing. I yeah. probably should have just chilled and, and, you know. But you have racer run. brains. So it's I know. <laughs> and, uh, it's, you know. Well, you're, you're enjoying it and you yeah. don't want to miss out on that even if it's not perfect. Right. And he still got first and yeah. he still won overall. <laughs> so whatever. It was a mess, though. <laughs> <laughs> you weren't proud of the no, ride, but like... he still won. <laughs> he beat his, on downhill, he beat his old times. So, I mean, whatever, you yeah. know. But it's, it's good. It's fun. And that's, you know. Well, I think we're going to have to hit up Lee to, uh, come and do some coaching we'll have to coerce her into uh i could do a self-hypnosis um camp absolutely with you yeah i would be happy to come up and introduce you to that absolutely yeah, that yeah. Will help. it's a lot of work and in most people i've i've introduced a few writers um over the last 10 years to it and it's weird and it's like it's like ah, oh, that's so weird and it's really hard like it's a six-week training block and you do it every morning and every night 
like it's a religious thing. You just do it for six straight weeks. And the first three weeks are so hard. You have anxiety. It's really hard to calm down. And, you know, so most people just quit on like this after the second week. They're like, I'm, this isn't working for me. Yeah. But then after about three weeks of it, then you start to see some of the results from it. And at the end of six weeks, it's um, when I was doing it, I can almost remember every second of my race run versus like most of my other races and i would only do it for certain like when i won the world championships okay um that was the second time i had ever done it and i gold to win the world championships yeah and you know most people probably listening don't know my story but in 1995 when i won the world championships i was not going to win the world championships that year you know i did win the u.s national title in downhill and in dual slalom i was definitely on this you know wave of, of of possibly you know being fast but i had only ever won one national ever in downhill okay so at that point i did win the national title but i'd only ever won one national downhill and um and when i rolled up to the start line such a such a weird thing but the one of the one of the women who had won the worlds a few times in 91 and 93 giovanna bonazzi she asked me as I was like rolling up, she's like, do you like that bike? Like she was like, she's like, like giving me like attitude. I don't think she meant that now that I know her. I think I took it that way because she's Italian and she didn't speak great English. And so it was kind of like a miscommunication, right. but it pissed me off so much. Like I was like, are you playing head games with me? Cause like, I'm going to slaughter you. And I was so, I think that moment motivated me to win that race. And I remember that race so well. And Where was this at? It was in Kirtsarten, Germany. And the track was filled with, they, they said, I don't know, 50,000 spectators or something. It was insane. I mean, like when you go back, I've, I've watched the video a few times, and um, it's just packed full of people all the way down the course. And, um, and I remember, like, coming across the finish line. And at the time, I thought, like, you know, and Caroline Chasson, she ended up having to race the junior class. I didn't know that at the time. Um, I thought, well, Anne might still be able to beat that, but I for sure got second place. Like I had the run of my life. And, um, and then it ended up being that Anne wasn't able to race the senior class. I think I would have beat her in those conditions. Her time, she raced later and her time did beat mine. But, um, uh, so did the junior men's beat the senior men's time because they were on a dry track. We weren't on a dry track. Okay. Right. Um, but inevitably, it was um, it it was like it was amazing. And I have this like I don't even know how I got onto this whole topic, but um, I have these this my my home phone number was six three seven, like and my whole life these numbers have like literally like everywhere I go, like every morning I wake up, I always catch the clock at six thirty-seven, and all this sort of stuff. Well, my winning race time was six minutes and 37 seconds. <laughs> oh my How God. weird is that? Right. <laughs> so I got to be world champion with six, three, seven, and that's freaking really cool. And, um, but you're talking about how the hypnotic help you. Yeah. And because of that, I feel like I was able to stay so focused, yeah. um, in the race run. Um, and uh, my first World Cup was the same. My first World Cup when I was in, I had done the self hypnosis to win that race specifically, and um, and it and it works. <laughs> yeah, it works. when you're talking about um, 
you know, when you could, during that time you're processing maybe a race run or whatever, you can come down to the last second. Yeah. I remember reading years ago about Mark Weir when, when, uh, you know, he won the Downeyville Classic yeah. years and years in a row. And it's like 40 something minutes long. Yeah. And he could do that. He could close his eyes and lay down and start a timer and get it down to within like 10 seconds yeah, of 40 something minute yep. run. Yeah. It's crazy. And you know, that's, and that's what you, as the, as you get closer to the racing aspect and that's everyone, no matter what, whether you're doing self-hypnosis or not, you should always be doing visual work with, um, with your, your race your yeah. tracks that you're racing yeah. on. You should, you should actually be able to see it with your eyes closed. Mm-hmm. Um, that really tells you, you know, where you're at. I think today's world, I think it's great that they, we have technology and people watch videos all the time. Um, but like when I coached, I was a, I coached the 2019 um, U.S. Worlds team for the downhill um, at Mount St. Anne. And um, we did a lot of video work and we did a lot of that stuff. But um, two days before the, the race, I asked every rider to draw a track for me on a piece of paper. And, um, and, uh, and they were all like, some of them really had a really hard time with it, which I gave, that gave them another day. So the next day, then they had to draw me that track. And then I, I was all about like, you know, here, where can you 100% go for it? 100%. You just go for it. And like I say, so pick three spots on the track that you can do that on. And, um, and it was interesting. Everyone kind of like, some people had similar places, some people had different places. And then I said, so here's where you're going to go for it in the race and everywhere else you're going to ride it. And like, they couldn't get that concept. They were like, what? Like, I'm like, because I knew, I learned long ago, um, that you need oxygen, (laughs) to make mental decisions. <laughs> and um, I know all these racers like, I go 110% and I do all this. And I'm like, winning riders, they are giving it their 100%. But they're not always physically giving it 100%. They're smart. That's why Greg Menard is still as great as he is. Because he knows when to give it 100%. Oh, yeah. And when to not be yeah. giving it 100%. Yeah. You can still be going 99% coasting and you're not pedaling out of every corner. Right. Um, and I think, I think when you, once you learn how to, if there's a science to racing. Sure. Once you learn what you, what science works for you, um, I think you're really blown away at how, I don't I wouldn't say easy racing is to win, but if you are really good, it is a lot easier to know how to win when you have all the stars aligned. Yeah. And so racing is, um, I think that I got really good at that. Mm-hmm. And I was a really hard trainer. I trained very hard. Yeah. And I think that combination um, gave me a lot of success in the field. Right. I know you, uh, that Eric Carter is a friend of yours oh, too. And you friend, did, a, yeah. did a lot of, probably learned a lot from each other. Because kind of the same school of, of thought 
I that's what I'm gathering. Yeah, I mean Eric I mean, and I basically similar yeah. lives. Yeah. I mean yeah. he, we raced BMX together. I mean I I mean Eric and I were like really good friends. We used to talk on the phone all the time. Our parents probably hated us because our phone bill was so expensive. Because yeah. we didn't have cell phones back then. We had to pay like yeah. money. And he we didn't live in we didn't live near each other. We weren't local. Yeah. Um, also the long distance charges. So we'd always have long distance <laughs> charges. My phone bill would be like two hundred dollars a month. My parents would be like, Oh my god, I'd be calling, you know, Lake Elsinore, I'd be calling uh Norco or before that Eric was in Lakewood yeah. or you know, wherever my friends were. I had friends everywhere and um and so yeah, my my parents would always be like, Oh my god, it was two hundred and twenty dollars this month and you know, at the time, I, I didn't even realize that. You know, I didn't think about, like, what right. my parents had to do to pay for that phone. But um, but I loved my – my friendship with Eric was strong. And um, we actually won our first dual slaloms at, at Big Bear okay. in 1993. So it was our first dual slalom wins together on the Norva circuit in 93. So that was pretty cool. Yeah. But having spent some time with him and, and being friends with Eric, like, yeah. same train of thought. Like, yeah. he's like yeah. – he, he always taught me, like – don't put yourself like a hundred percent. You can't do it the whole time. You, you, just you have you to, really you have to save it and be smart. Like, I mean, a hundred percent. If you think about it, like you go out and do intervals. Like I remember like intervals was such a huge part of my training. Like whether it was a five minute climb interval or a 10 second sprint interval. And I mean, that's a hundred percent. Yeah. When you're trying to give a hundred percent, I mean, lactic acid buildup ha happens in your bloodstream how are you reoxygenating that how do you stay focused do you know your breathing techniques there's so much to, especially in downhill mm -hmm. you know it's like yeah i mean cross country dual slalom all of that downhill is a specific animal because nobody goes oh your race is only going to be three and a half minutes no, if you're a World Cup racer, your race is three and a half minutes or it's five and a half minutes. That's a freaking big ass window that you're going to have yep. to learn how to race. Yeah. In, right. Yeah. And so you've got to be able to be able to give it, know what your three minute and three and a half minute race is. You got to know what's my limits within three and a half minutes. But you also need to know what your limits are within a five and a half minute race. And they're very different. Or 6.37. Or six, six minutes and 37 seconds. <laughs> they don't race races like that anymore, <laughs> thankfully. Hey, 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 hey. I just did a seven minute enduro oh, okay. run. Okay. <laughs> well, downhill race. Well, wait yeah, a minute. Yeah. Like, but I was waving and talking. See, yeah, I don't have the yeah, mental, yeah, yeah. Uh, like, <laughs> I got to win. I yeah. just have fun on my bike. Did you ever yeah. do um, uh, the, the Garbanzo race? Yeah. Yeah. Oh my gosh! I raced in. Um, I've raced it a few times. My, I think the last time I raced it was 2010. Yeah, I yeah. remember coming coming down and going, wait, that's where I normally take a break with all my buddies, and yeah. I'm having to race. He's <laughs> chewing on this. I don't. Oh, that's not good. A good one. That's not yeah. good, Huck. You don't want to chew on that, Huck. We yeah. don't want you getting electrocuted. <laughs> well, it's, it's no no different in the downhill race in Washington. There's like this for the beginner in sport. You come over and you have to traverse over, and of course the. <laughs> advanced ones do these jobs and stuff. <laughs> so i come across here i'm like is this the feed zone <laughs> yeah jay's like what feed zone i'm like I you know where it. i have to come over is that where you guys give me my my water my yeah, sandwich totally. they're like yeah we'll have bbj's up there for you yeah, i'm like I thanks love it. i love it <laughs> yeah it was fun but yeah cool well man we appreciate you making the drive out here yeah you're, spending you're some welcome. time I, was, I mean it's nice just chatting and getting to know you both as well yeah, yeah. we we'll, gotta do uh, this again and i'm i'm definitely hitting you up because we have some some pl team plans yeah. in the future and we will definitely be bringing in 
We're going to use know, you. Yeah. Pro, I think that, pro coaching. You, know, um, you know, you probably have writers that listen and parents that might listen to this podcast. And mm-hmm. I think it's uh, greatness comes with balance. And um, I, I don't know why. And I, I know for me, I'm, I'm a very physical person. So I, 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 that's what I'm attracted to most is to do my physical workouts. Um, but I learned as a professional that if I wanted to be great at, especially for downhill, if I wanted to be great at something, I had to learn how to be, I had to focus also some of my energies at things I wasn't great at. Um, and you know, often I'll hear writers in today's world, you know, they're out doing downhill runs all the time or, you know, and I'm, and, and I, and I, I'll ask some of my friends sometimes, I'm like, Oh, so like, are you ever on your road bike? Like, do you do hill intervals, you know, or what type of sprint intervals are you at the BMX track doing, you know, sprint laps? Like I, I ask questions cause I'm curious, like what kind of training is happening in today's world? Um, do you do self hypnosis or do you do meditation or, you know, do you do those sort of yoga? And I would say most riders are really just spending time on a bicycle. Mm-hmm. There's very little outside work that's done. Yes, maybe gym work. Mm-hmm. Um, but even like some of the gym work, I'm like, oh, like you're not doing, you know, this or that. No, we just do this. And I'm like, oh, it's interesting. So um, there's there's areas of uh, balance that is required, I think, for, you know, great recovery, for great focus and for uh, minimizing injury. Yeah. And so if you're always on the bicycle, you know, you're not, you're not, you're not doing yourself justice. Um, and, uh, you're probably not going to achieve those results you actually want to achieve. Mm-hmm. It's so. kind of like what we always said. We know you're fast going up and down the hill. What are you doing in between? Like, yeah. what are you studying? What are yeah. you, what are you doing better? Stop going fast. Work on the areas you're weak at. Yeah. Same thing often when you're not, you know, on the weekdays, like, Trying to tell a kid not to be on a bike seven days a week? Oh, my gosh. Well, You and, think yeah. I tell them. You, you think we're telling them, like, to go take out the trash or yeah. clean their room, right? Yeah, like, I oh get my it. God. Like, I remember when my, I got coached, my coach was like, you need one day that you don't ride a bicycle. Like, at all. You do not touch a bicycle. And I had to pick that day, and it was Mondays. And he's like, and you need to get a massage every week. And I was like, ooh, that sounds good. Okay, I'll take that up. And, um, and then you need to do yoga on Tuesday nights and on Friday nights or whatever it was. And, and I always remember like, you know, it was, it was cool because my coach said, this is part of your routine. You incorporate that. And, you know, it took me, uh, it took months to kind of get into that routine. Cause I was yeah. like these other people, yeah. I want to ride my bike every day. I only wanted to ride downhill or dirt jumps or, you know, road bikes. Oh my God. Yeah. You want to put me on a road bike? Yuck. Yeah. And then. At the end of my career, I was 80% of my training on a bicycle was on a road bike. 80%. Because you, that's where you build the most power. That's where your leg speed is the quickest. That's how you get the most accurate recovery workouts. I mean, you, you can't do that on a mountain bike. Period. Right. Um, so it's I learned a lot through that process. And, you know, if I wanted to be a professional and be great at something, I had to put the love of what I, was, what I did only into the racing. And that's why I loved racing so much because when I would show up to a bike race, 
I maybe hadn't really done much downhilling. Right. You know, maybe I did downhill on Wednesdays and maybe on sometimes on Sundays, but I rarely downhill. Yeah. And so I loved coming to a downhill race and it was so fun and it was every every experience I rem- I just I remember it being I was so grateful to have that. And I think sometimes riders, like you were talking about the rider earlier, they win practice, but they don't win the race. They are totally burned themselves out by the time they get to a race, a race weekend. And by the time those beeps are going off for real, um, they've already scared the shit out of themselves on the course so many times that now they're slower. I always said that the most scared I want to be is in my race run. And that was, you know, what would happen. Right. I would scare the shit out of myself in sections. And then I'd, I'd hang on. I'd be like, yes! <laughs> I made it through that section <laughs> so fast. And I would be like, on to the next thing, you know? It would be so exciting. And I think that's as, you know, that's a, something I could leave with yeah. your parents, your yeah. you know, racers. No, is you, that, and and, and you it's know, true. Find I, the balance. I appreciate that because actually one of the kids, um, Tyler on our team now, he was just telling me, he was, hey, I had to listen to, uh, I said, wait, you got to listen to or you had to listen to? <laughs> he goes, well, I chose to listen to <laughs> the podcast for a school project because one of his classes required eight hours of a podcast oh, of something cool. you're interested in. Yeah. So he chose he chose this and uh, anyhow, so yeah, they are listening. So we yeah. appreciate that input because uh, it's, yeah, passed on to the new generation and Right. Well, and just people need to realize that, you know, there's a lot of great writers out there. Here, like, hold Huck. Yeah. Let's get oh, a picture. Oh, yeah. There you go. There you go. Yeah. Headphones yeah. on. There you go. Huck. Look, look, look. I got her, like, going in for the oh, list. Perfect. <laughs> so All right. Cool. And on that note, thank okay. you seriously for making it out here to yep. us and seeing us. And we got to do this again. All right. And yeah. uh, thanks for being a friend. Yes. You're awesome. Um, thanks for having me. Go ahead. So, no matter where life's trail takes you, no matter what you're doing, keep keep the the rubber rubber side side down. Thanks for checking out the Huck and Ride podcast. Be sure to like, share, and subscribe. The T3 Mountain Bike Program is your place for SoCal Gravity Racing.